This is the sermon podcast of St. John's Episcopal Church in Brooklyn, New York. They're primarily by me, the Reverend Ben DeHart, but you'll hear from some of my good friends as well. We at St. John's exist to proclaim the good news of the gospel. So if you like what you hear, we'd love it if you join us in person. Our Sunday services are at 10 a.m., and our beautiful church, located in Park Slope, is easy to get to from all over the city. We hope you'll stop by soon. And now, the sermon. When it comes to conflict, I equate being assertive with being aggressive. Did you hear that? Because I feel like that's not just true for me. I think it's true for about half of us in this room. When it comes to interpersonal conflict, I equate a good thing like being assertive with a bad thing, like being aggressive. This proclivity of mine oftentimes leads to conflict avoidance, which feels good in the moment, right? I'm not starting fights with all of the folks who aggrieve me in the littlest or the biggest ways. I tend to be what Jesus calls a peacemaker, so kudos to me, right? But so often, and I'm not going to tell a story on myself, but I'm going to tell a story on my friend, a friend of mine who likewise equates being assertive with being aggressive, talked about how there was a friend of his who kept on doing these little slights, and they were the same slights, the person was completely unaware they were doing it, but after a while, it happened one too many times, and my friend flipped out, lost his mind. Now, none of us in this room have any idea what that might look like. But he tells me, and it's so true, words are so powerful. In his flipping outness, he lost that friend forever. In the moment, it was about the littlest thing, but the reason why he lost his mind is that he could not confront his friend. He let it build up. He repressed it, and then explosion end of relationship. That is the danger of conflict avoidance. That's the danger of equating being assertive with being aggressive. But maybe you're like the other half of the people in the pews here, and you tend to err on the side of being aggressive. Maybe you are someone who says, oh, I've got no problem standing up for myself. And yet you found in your life that at times, that can have the same exact effect. Another one of my friends, and both of these stories are true stories. This other one of my friends who is in the more, you might say, aggressive camp. Uh, A couple months ago, we were leaving this bar, and this bar was only handing out their drinks in those silo cups, those red silo cups. And we were in a town where it was no small thing to take alcohol out of the bar. They would be essentially fined. So I'm leaving with my solo cup, only I filled it up with water, I swear. And the bouncer at the front sees me with this solo cup and he hits it out of my hand and he shoves me a little bit. I mean, probably shouldn't have done that, but it wasn't the end of the world. This friend who I was with, who does not equate being assertive with being aggressive, proceeded to start a fight with this bouncer. No joke. 
and threw a punch. I was like, oh my God. Especially for those of us who are conflict avoidant, I kind of (laughs) freaked out in that moment. Again, true story, but we have on the one hand, associating being assertive with being aggressive, and on the other hand, a good thing like loyalty being taken to extremes, like let's throw a blow (laughs) because of a misunderstanding. Now, I don't tell these stories and distinguish between being assertive and being aggressive for no reason at all. If you were paying attention in our gospel reading, you'll see that Jesus here is talking to the church about conflict. Because when two or three are gathered together, inevitably, conflict will arise. Now, hopefully, it's conflict on the small level and conflict that can be addressed right away. But I think what Jesus is getting at, and for much of this section, he's quoting the Old Testament. He's trying to give you and me a blueprint, you and me, the church, a witness for what do we do when the conflict that inevitably will arise, what are, what are we to do about it? We might be siblings in Christ. We might have this bond that is thicker than blood, according to Christ. But that doesn't mean that you and I aren't deep down pretty selfish people. I'll speak for myself. I know that I am. So here Jesus gives us this idealized portrait for what we would do. What does he say? When someone wrongs you, what's the first thing you do? Do you go and gossip to five other people about how bad a person that Larry is for doing something that was probably a misunderstanding? No. You are to go to that person, that person alone. One, not having the gossip. Two, let's nip it in the bud. It's, uh, it's very different than the equating being assertive with being aggressive. Very different than the conflict avoidant. You approach that person not to create more conflict, but to put it to an end. Now, the reason that Jesus continues with this, because as we all know, sometimes conflict doesn't end when you go to someone. What Jesus is doing here is he's not just giving us a blueprint for how to deal with conflict for the sake of dealing with conflict. At root here is a concern for victims. Because the powerful, the ones with the force, they don't need to go and get two or three witnesses to hear out the conflict. You know, the powerful, well, they just squash the powerless. Here, Jesus says, if the person who wronged you still does not listen, well, then bring two witnesses, not so that they can take your side against this person so that it can be, like in the Old Testament, a kind of mini court that can adjudicate between you two because sometimes, at least for me, when I feel wronged, I might actually be the one wrong. I might have misunderstood. My ego might have been bruised. And these two, ideally, in a non-gossipy way, can help you essentially through this conflict. And then there's the third account. The third account is... If the two witnesses say, hey, man, you wronged this person, come on, say you're sorry, you know, whatever it is. And that person is just obstinate and, you know, I'm going to do it again. That and only then is when you go to the church or in Greek, it's the assembly. And the assembly essentially hears you out. Now, the scandal of this text, right, is 
after you go to the person, after you have two witnesses, after the church sees, hey, the victimizer is not repentant and needs to be dealt with. How are they to be dealt with? The text says they are to be treated as a Gentile and a tax collector. They are to be treated as an outsider. And for you and me, 21st century people, we we don't like insider-outsider talk. So we hate this kind of thing. In fact, when I saw that this was this text for this Sunday, I'm like, come on, Lord, it's kickoff Sunday. Why such a downer of a text? But really, when you go to the commentators and you remember the Gospel of Matthew as a whole and what Jesus has been getting at, you see how does Jesus treat tax collectors, Gentiles, and outsiders. He's always reaching out to them. The door is always left open to them for repentance. This person, this victimizer, who has wronged this person and who just cannot say he's sorry, cannot, in the true sense of the word repentance, turn himself around. This person is to be treated as one who Jesus sought to save. Yes, for the help of the victim, for the health of the community, they are to be treated like an outsider. Nevertheless, much like our Lord essentially treated Gentiles and tax collectors, that's the way that we also treat the person who's wronged that folk. Now, This text always makes a lot of sense when I put myself at the position of the victim, right? And that's what we all like to do. None of us likes to think that we're victimizers. But every once in a while, we find ourselves to be that victimizer. And texts like these are scary. We don't want to be treated like the Gentile, the tax collector, and the outsider. No matter how open the church or Jesus might be to us. Nevertheless, what what this text is really about... What Jesus is doing by giving the church a blueprint for dealing with conflict, giving the church a way at achieving reconciliation, what this text is really doing is showing us the one who sought reconciliation above everything else. Unlike me, again, who associates being assertive with being aggressive, Jesus had no problem confronting the money changers at the temple. Jesus could call a spade a spade and call people out. Nevertheless, unlike my more aggressive friends, our Lord is the one who, even as he brings his cross to Golgotha, is praying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Friends, yes, of course, this text is telling us, those of us who are conflict avoidant, you know what, it's not going to help you in the long run. Have the confidence to speak up for yourself. And to those who are wronging folk, no, let go of your ego, say you're sorry. But what's more than all of that, this text points to the one who was assertive while also having his arms open to victims and victimizers to the very end. For when we think of ourselves as victims for too long, we forget that part of the good news of Christianity is that you and I have the freedom to admit that we're wrong, 
When we're wrong, it's not the end of the world. Our Lord is the one who forgives 70 times 7 times, which is a symbol for meaning infinite times. And that's good news too, right? We don't have to posture anymore. We don't have to put up masks or facades. We are free to be, free to say we're sorry, but also free to be assertive when we've been wronged. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.